Hello, my beautiful beans, and welcome to this episode. This is episode 122, and today we're going to be talking about self-efficacy, which is kind of a form of self-love, and I'll explain how the two things tie in together quite nicely. I'll be explaining exactly what self-efficacy is, what it looks like when you have it, what it looks like when you don't, where you can get it from, how to increase it, all that stuff. So it's going to be a good fucking episode, and I've got like four if not maybe more, maybe six things that you can actually do now to start actively increasing your self-efficacy. So exciting times. Anyway, before that, um, guys, not much to update you on. Um, yeah, there really is not much to update you on. So I thought I'd just dive straight into today's episode, into today's episode and begin. As this episode is going live though, I'm currently, I will be in Melbourne. Um, Lucy and Nikki would have done their live show. Um, yeah, so RIP to me. Hopefully I'm not too hungover as you listen to this on this fine Friday that this episode goes live. Um, anyway, good times. And if you're in Melbourne and you see me, please say bonjour. Okay. Before we get into it, I want to talk about um, a brain fact or just a bit of brain information. And I want to teach you, if you don't already know, about a part of the brain that's called the cerebellum. So the cerebellum is, the word cerebellum is Latin for little brain. And because the brain is commonly um, commonly referred to as the cerebrum, and the cerebellum, which is a part of the brain, is known as like the little brain. And it's kind of under, at the base of your skull, kind of, you know, where your neck is and it kind of is at the back of the brain stem and it kind of looks like this added lump at the bottom of your brain if you see like a, a picture of a brain. So its main functions are in controlling movement, facilitating smoother movement, better executed movement and also detecting errors in your movement and correcting it on course. So for example, if you're going to go and grab something and you're too far to the left and then you correct it as you're reaching to grab it, this smooth correction, it's the cerebellum that is responsible for that correction during the movement. And the same goes for like catching things or, you know, coordinated movements where you're having to correct it with the information that you're getting as you're executing that movement. It's also involved in motor learning. So errors are less common. So, you know, if you're going to do a movement, let's say you're doing physical movement or you're a dancer or whatever, and you notice that your body was where it shouldn't have been, then it's, it's the cerebellum that's responsible for correcting those little movements and consolidating them into your memory. Um, it also gets input from the cortex, like the, the motor cortex, to help initiate movements, like starting a movement. It also receives information from the spinal cord about limb position in space, um, pressure, temperature, so the proprioception, and it allows it to know it because of this kind of connection between the spinal cord and the cerebellum, you know where your limbs are in space at any given time. It's this knowledge of where you are um, called proprioception. And this is one of the reasons why the cerebellum is so good at correcting things because it understands where you are and it then knows where you need to be and then it kind of brings those two together. And then it's really involved because of that in posture, balance, all of that. And I'm going to – in a second I'll go into um, – what happens when you get damage to the cerebellum, to the yeah, cerebellum. Um, it's got ipsilateral effects to the place of the damage. So ipsilateral means that it's on the same side. So if you get damage on, on you know, the left side of the cerebellum, you're going to have it play out. You're going to see these motor deficits on the left side of your body. Whereas a lot of the brain, a lot of 
not every part of the brain, but a lot of parts of the brain, they have this crossover. They cross over to the other side of the brain. I feel like I need to do a whole episode on um, that spinal pathways, descending and ascending pathways. It's really, really interesting about where you get damage in the pathway and how it plays out as far as like in your body and movement and um, sensory and all of that. Really cool. Anyway, with the, with the cerebellum, it is ipsilateral um, effects. Now, what happens when you have damage to your cerebellum? There is a lot of floppiness, like there's a loss of muscle tone and a lot of the output for that region is sent to motor control signals. So like if there's a, it's, it's this constant communication with all these loops within the brain for motor control. So in the absence of this communication and these loops, people lose their muscle tone, they go all floppy, there's no swiftness or smoothness in movements, um, there's no fine motor skills, it's really clunky, um, your balance is kind of thrown off movements don't really flow and there's also you get something called an intentional tremor which is different to a tremor at rest so for example if you have uh, injuries or lesions or deficits in the basal ganglia or it's a basal ganglia disorder you're going to have something called a resting tremor where you're not moving and you are like you've got that tremor for example in Parkinson's disease which is a basal ganglia disorder Um, but in a cerebral Um, cerebellum disorder it is an intentional tremor so when you're reaching when you're trying to execute a movement you're going to get that tremor but then when you stop moving that tremor ceases and then of course because you've got that damage and the feedback of you know where your position where your body is positioned your proprioception isn't spot on then your movements are just not precise so they're either too short or too long your movements don't reach the target and even when you realize that when you go to correct it you miss the target again and it's this constant missing of the target so the effects of damage to the cerebellum is actually very very similar to the effects of someone that's highly intoxicated so unfortunately people that have damage to the cerebellum get get uh, mistaken for people that are really drunk because it's very similar. You've got this problem with your gait, your balance, um, your postural awareness, reaching for movements, um, intentional tremor, all that kind of stuff. A lot of these disorders or these um, symptoms that you see with uh, the cerebellum, whether it's a lesion or an injury or whatever, in a lot of cases does improve with time unless, of course, it is a degenerative disease that's going on within the cerebellum. So I thought that was really interesting to talk about. Um, so if you're going to – like if you get a big blow to the head and you're damaging that part of the, the brain, that's kind of what's going to play out um, because of the the role that it plays within the brain. So really fucking interesting. Um, anyway, let's get straight into the topic of today, which is self-efficacy. So I think the first thing we want to talk about is what is self-efficacy and how does it relate to self-love? So this was a concept proposed by a psychologist called Albert Bandura. Bandura, B-A-N-D-U-R-A, if you want to look if you want to look him up. So it refers to this individual belief or an individual's belief in their capacity to execute behaviours. I'm sorry, I'm reading this out as that, like the actual definition. So it refers to an individual's belief in their capacity to execute behaviours necessary to produce specific performance attainments. Blah, how's that for a mouthful? Basically, it's your belief in your own self as far as your abilities um, are concerned. So your ability to get something done, to recover from something, to heal, to grow, to achieve. Basically, your belief in yourself and your and what you are capable of doing. 
And self-efficacy is involved in pretty much every area of human endeavor. Like it's, it's involved in everything that you're going to do, relationships, career, uh, where you're going to move to, socially, everything you can think about. And this self-efficacy, whatever your level of self-efficacy, if you got high or low, it's going to determine how you think, how you act, how you behave, and also how you feel. So it's kind of like this constant loop of your self-efficacy determines how you feel and then how you feel is going to determine your self-efficacy. And it's kind of this continuous loop that goes on and on and on. And it ultimately comes down to how you think you can manage a situation. So not if you definitely can, because we don't, we, we can't predict the future. So it's not like I know for sure that I'm going to win this or that I'm going to be the best at this, so then I'm going to do it. Not at all. It's this confidence, this calm confidence within yourself that you can give it a go and you're going to fi- be fine regardless of the outcome. So you weigh up the odds and think, yep, I can do that. And even if it fails, it doesn't really matter. That's not what this is about. It's about your willingness and your belief in yourself to just give it a go. Okay. Um, or if you have low self-efficacy, it's kind of like, why the fuck would you try? Not even a chance. That's so embarrassing. It's a saturated market. Why even try to get into that field? Or I'm not experienced enough I, or imposter syndrome or I'll never recover if I fail or, or all the above. Okay. So that's kind of the difference between the two. And because of this, it's going to be self-efficacy and your level of self-efficacy will determine which goals you're going to set for yourself and how you're going to go for those goals. What steps are you going to lay out for yourself to achieve those goals? How motivated or how driven are you going to be? What your sticking power is going to be like when you do embark on these goals? Um, How big a risk you're willing to take? That is where self-efficacy is heavily involved. And you can see how that ties into self-love because The more self-efficacy you have, the more you're going to put yourself out there, the more likely you are to succeed because you're just putting yourself out there a lot more. You're more optimistic in a logical way. And I'll talk about what I mean by logical way kind of later on in the podcast, as in it's not toxic positivity, but it's this logical optimism, um, realistic optimism in a good way. Um, And because of that, you are going to have a more pleasant life experience. Your day-to-day, li- your day-to-day life is going to be more enjoyable. Your anxiety is going to be lower. Your depression is going to be lower. Your mood is going to be higher in general. You're just going to feel better. So let's break it down. What I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about what it looks like when you have it versus when you don't. Then I'm going to go into what the main sources are from where you get your self-efficacy from and how to increase self-efficacy. And then I'm going to actually go into six specific things that you you can do right now to increase your self-efficacy slash self-love. All right, let's do it. So first, let's look at what does it look like when you have it versus when you don't. I'm going to start with what's someone with high self-efficacy looks like. So this kind of person who has high self-efficacy, and by the way, I want you to think about, am I this kind of person or who do I know that is this kind of person? It's always good to have examples in your head so you can kind of really flesh it out like a person, a character, or even yourself And for for both of the options that I'm going to show you. So someone with high self-efficacy is confident that, for example, say you're at uni, you're confident that you'll be able to hand in that essay or say you're at work, you're confident that you can hand in that job, even though there's still stuff that you need to learn or research and stuff you don't know yet. But you think, I'm going to learn it in time. I'm going to be able to do this. I'm pretty sure that I'm capable. 
So this is what I mean about not knowing for sure that it's definitely going to be good. But it's, it's this idea of based on kind of what I know about myself, based on how I interpret myself and my life and my levels of stress around this situation, I'm pretty confident that I will complete this by the deadline and not only complete it, but I'm pretty sure I'll pass. And for some people, they're like, not only will I pass, but I'm going to pass with flying colors. That's kind of someone with high, high um, self-efficacy. It's also someone who knows that they can complete an entire course or someone who's optimistic that they can get their health, their physical or their mental health to a better place. And they'll put in the work and they know what they need to do and they're confident that if they do it, things are going to get better for them instead of, well, I'll go into the alternative in a sec. It's someone who is able to and and more than willing to quit their job to start a new job, quit the job that they're comfortable in to start a new job that's kind of like their dream job, even though they have no hands-on experience doing this new job. So they know that they're being thrown in the deep end. They know that they're going to have all these challenges thrown their way, but they know that eventually, sooner rather than later, they're going to rise to the surface and really enjoy that job and, and, and not just enjoy it, but do it properly, you know. Like they know that they're going to learn something at, at, at an appropriate rate that their employer will be happy with. It's someone who is willing to go to a social event as a plus one, not knowing anyone else at this social event, and then feel like they're going to have a really good time and probably meet some people and maybe even make a friend. Like it's this idea of like, yeah, fuck it, I'll go, I'll fucking go with you and, and you don't need to babysit me the whole event. Like I'll be fine. And they know that if, if they don't like it, it's not the end of the world, it's not a big deal. Um, what else? It's someone who knows that they're going to survive when an unexpected curveball is thrown their way. Like you could say to them, but what happens if this goes wrong? They could be they could be realistic about it. They were like, fuck, that would suck. Like that would fucking suck. But they wouldn't be like, oh my God, oh my God, like my life would be over. I can't even fathom it. I'm not even going to try it because if it didn't happen, it'd be game over for me. They would just acknowledge that it would fucking suck, but they would get over it and they would move on and things would be okay. All right. So it's not, they don't have unrealistic expectations. They don't think that everything's peachy, that everything's sunshine and rainbows. They know that pain can happen. They know that failure can happen, adversity, all those things. They just have this comfortable knowledge within themselves that they'll be okay regardless. Um, And they also enjoy, not to crazy extents, but they also enjoy those pressure cooker situations. Like they like to work under pressure. They want to be like, give me a deadline and I want to see if I can make it. They enjoy the process of the challenge. It's not so much like I have to get this outcome. It's kind of that idea that I've spoken about in the past about intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. They kind of like this this challenge upon themselves. Like I want to challenge myself to get this done and, and I'm going to enjoy the journey and I'm going to see how far I can take it and I'm going to see how much I can achieve. And, you know, they have kind of have a little bit of fun with it because there's not too much stress or anxiety attached to it. So you can notice with everything that I've said here, it's all about estimations and predictions about how the person believes that they're going to go in general. There's no assurance, nothing is guaranteeing it, but the estimations are more optimistic and if it doesn't work out, their their views on themselves dealing with it not working out are optimistic as well. Now let's look at the flip side of that, someone with low self-efficacy. And I want you to see if you can identify yourself as one or the other or somewhere in between. 
Someone with low self-efficacy is never going to try out for that dream job if you have no experience. Like, so say that you've got, you're qualified, you've got all these skills that when bunched together, you could do the job. If you've not had a specific experience on that, you would never try out. You're like, fuck that. Fuck that. Because A, there's probably going to be 10 people that are more qualified for me. Why bother? A, why bother with with even putting an application together? How embarrassing. B, you'd be thinking as if they're going to hire me when I've never had any any experience because you don't value all your other bits of experience together. You think if it's not exactly what they want, I'm not good enough for this role. It's just not, why would I do it? Um, it's, it's someone never enrolling in a course because you're afraid that you're not going to learn the stuff or you're afraid that you're not going to learn it at the pace that's required. Even though the course is meant for somebody that doesn't know that information. So even though you know you're entering this course, which is for people with no basic knowledge about the topic, they're going to teach you from the ground up. You think, oh, no, 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 no. Like that's not, I couldn't do that. That's, you know, I couldn't do a three-year course. That wouldn't happen. It's not wanting to invite others out or not wanting to ask someone out on a date because you feel that rejection is more likely than that person taking you up on that invitation. You think that I'll just sit here and wait for them to ask me because I just don't see this being a positive outcome if I put myself out there and ask. It's giving up every time you embark on like a new diet plan or exercise plan or a gym membership or any kind of plan for your health or even your mental health because you just don't see how you can sustain something long-term. You think like, why bother? If this is how I am, is it really going to change? Can you actually change your mental health? Can you actually change your physical health? That's a bit ridiculous. Every time I've tried to change in the past, it's fucking failed. I've not been able to sustain it. So literally what is the point? Um, And this this kind of low self-efficacy can come from a whole bunch of things. Obviously, it can come from your attachment style big time. If you've got, you know, insecure attachment style, it can come from that for sure. It can come from never having support or encouragement at all from anyone around you. Like you just don't have a good support network. So you're kind of taught either directly or indirectly to be fearful of certain things in your life and fearful of risk and fearful of change. So definitely that could be ingrained in you, this belief system that you have. And it can also come from certain experiences that maybe made you more conservative with your choices for this like to become more like your choices of self-preservation. So for example, if you thought you were killing it in your job and then out of the blue you got fired at a really bad time or you thought that things were going great in your relationship and bang, they dump you and then ghost you, experiences like that can really shake your self-efficacy. Often not long-term, I feel like for people that have high self-efficacy, when they have something that swoops on in and shakes their self-efficacy, it kind of drops for a bit, like it shakes your confidence within yourself and your abilities and what you can obtain and achieve, but then it kind of um, goes back up. But if you're someone that's always had this low self-efficacy, think blows like that are going to be really um, significant, more so than someone who's used to having high self-efficacy. So now let's talk about what are the main sources where you get self-efficacy from and how you can increase it? So this psychologist, Bandura, that I had mentioned at the start of the uh, Albert Bandura, he identified four major sources of where you gain self-efficacy from so, and, and how you can enhance it. So the four are, and I'll break them down in a sec, but I'll just name them all. Mastery experiences, number one. Number two, social modeling. 
Number three, social persuasion. And number four, psychological responses. Okay, so let's give examples for each of those. So number one, mastery experiences. This is where you get really good at a task, where you master a task. And as you get good at a task, you learn that you are capable of mastering something. And the beauty of this is that it doesn't fucking matter what the task is and it could be completely irrelevant. You can master one task one week, one task next six months. They can be short or long, it doesn't matter. But this ability of knowing that you are capable of mastering anything, something, anything, something random starts to increase this self-efficacy, okay? Um, and therefore, it also makes you more likely to, to try your chances with another skill, even if it's completely unrelated. You think, well, I'm a bit more optimistic about my abilities now. I tried something that I was a novice at and managed to get really good at it. So I could probably apply that to something else, you know? Um, that's number one. Number two is social modeling. And this is where you have good mentors or if you don't have a mentor good role models so you don't have to know them in person but it's this idea of trying get as many good role models around you and when you talk about role models I don't want it to be someone that you're jealous of because that absolutely defeats the purpose if you are comparing and if you're jealous that's not going to help you at all if anything it's going to make you insecure about your own belief systems about um about your belief about your future if you're thinking, oh my God, that person got it because they're better than me. No, you want to look at someone saying, ah, here's a perfect example of what I'm trying to do. And it doesn't have to be exactly the same. But say someone did well in business and it wasn't exactly related, but you're like, oh, they kind of started off in a similar position that, that I did or they did this and I kind of admire how they did that. Always look for positive role models or mentors. This social modeling is one of the best ways to increase your self-efficacy because it makes you believe that things are possible for you you um of course if you can have a mentor it's even better because it's more of that um intimate um understanding of someone's journey the third one is social persuasion so this is encouragement from your from your social group or your family or your friends it's positive feedback it's kind words it's people supporting you and believing in you so while it's not crucial, it fucking helps and it makes such a difference. You know, you can, of course, do it all on your own, but it is definitely harder. When you've got a support network of people saying, fuck, that was amazing that you did that. Fuck yeah, you're going to just go out today and, and kill it. You know, call us if you need. We're here to support you. If things go wrong, just give us a call and vent. We're so excited for you. If people are around you doing that, pumping you up, not unrealistically, but but in a loving and supportive way, then you feel that you have these tools to go out. It's not, and I'm not talking about pressure here. I'm not talking about, you know, those parents that say, you're going to get an A plus in this. And, you know, this is, you know, it's the only mark that you can ever get because you're so smart. And then you get all this pressure thinking, oh my God, these people think I'm smart and I'm going to underperform. And no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that want to encourage you and are there for you regardless of the outcome of how that went down. And they're also the same people that are going to be there for you when, you know, times are tough. But this social persuasion of, of course you can do it, of course give it a go. It's not so much about the outcome, it's about starting. People that encourage you to go for that job application, encourage you to go to the interview, not people that are like, mm, do you really want to do that? You're in a really safe job and this safe job, like you know what you're doing here, you've been here for long enough, why take the risk? Why would you leave this job? That's the shit that I'm talking about. So eliminate and you want to be in this social um, group where they're encouraging you realistically, obviously within reason, they're encouraging you and offering this network for you. The last one is psychological response. 
or psychological responses. So this is how you react to situations instinctively. So intuitively, how do you react to all kinds of situations that happen? If your anxiety is high, if your mood is low, or if you're very avoidant of change, if that's the kind of person that you are, then this is, of course, going to impact your self-efficacy and how you view your own abilities. If your anxiety is high, for example, your social anxiety, you're going to be like, fuck going to that event as your plus one when I know that you know everyone there you're going to try and talk to everyone and I'm going to feel like unless you're babysitting me all day I'm going to be sitting there in the corner freaking the fuck out until I get to leave if that's how you feel then your self-efficacy at least socially is going to be very very low and then the chances of you putting yourself out there again are going to be slim to none however if you're someone that's you know ultimately always trying to keep up a, a good mood you're starting to feel a bit more, you're someone who's more relaxed, more chilled. You're just likely, because of these psychological responses, how you respond to stimulus. For example, I've spoken about this before, how people um, with different attachment styles, if you've got insecure attachment style or disorganized, you're going to look at a neutral stimulus as a potential threat versus someone who's got more secure attachment style is going to look at a neutral stimulus as neutral or maybe even positive, you know. So this is this idea that, Depending how you respond to something, how badly you react to something is also going to impact your self-efficacy. If you look at a situation that went badly and you're like, well, fuck, that was shit. Anyway, nothing I can do about it and then move on. Your, your belief in your abilities is a lot higher. Whereas if you look at something and think of it catastrophically and, and go on and on and make it this massive thing in your head when in reality it might not have to be, then of course – it's going to be your self-efficacy will be lower. So now to finish off, I want to talk about six things that you can do to increase your self-efficacy and of course your self-love, self-efficacy slash self-love because they're very heavily intertwined. Okay, like I said, firstly, this is before I embark on the six points, this is not about fake positivity. This is not about toxic positivity. This is not about think positive thoughts and everything will be amazing. I hate that so much. This is about being logically optimistic. Like, is there any specific reason of why this is going to go wrong other than me just coming up with random ideas in my head? No? Okay. So, look, the chances are high. Am I capable of learning something? Yes, I am. Am I capable of, like, do I have the time to allocate to study? Yes, I do. So, I put two and two together. I'm pretty confident that I'm going to be able to do this, okay? I don't know the information yet. I might be like, this is fucked. And then I don't like it and I quit it. Fine. But from where I stand, I'm pretty confident with the information I have right now that it's doable, okay? That's what I mean about having an optimistic um, outlook on something. So when I talk about optimism and whatever, that is what I mean. So let's go into it. Number one, the first thing that you can do to increase it is to change your state, your physical state before you approach a difficult task or before you approach something that you would normally avoid, okay? So the best way to do that is start jumping up and down, jumping up and down, shake the energy out. Your body has the same physical response when you are anxious and nervous as when you are excited, this like quicker breathing, this like kind of jittery nerves through your body. So sometimes if you try and confuse your body to be like, oh my God, I'm so fucking excited, you can actually at times, unless it's extreme and paralyzing, you can at times 
make your body confused or your brain, confuse your brain into thinking that slight nerves is slight excitement, okay? So that's a really good thing to do. When you start feeling of these nerves, jump up and down, jeer yourself up, listen to a great song and then be like, okay, I'm fucking excited, let's let's do this, okay? That's the number one thing you're going to do. It's the same physical response, so use that to your advantage. Change your physical state, get excited, change your posture, deeper breathing. That's what you're going to do. Number two. You're going to edit how you perceive a challenge or something new. So instead of perceiving something as a threat, you want to ask yourself, is this a threat? And if you say yes, you say, is this logically a threat or can I perceive this as neutral? One of the best things to do is raise awareness when you perceive something as a threat. It's so easy for us to look at something, oh, that's a threat, shut it down, shut it down, avoid, avoid, avoid. But if you're like, wait a minute, wait, 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 can't slow it down. Is this a threat? Can I actually look at this and can I look at this as neutral as possible? Like this person that's looking at me from the other side of the room, are they actually judging me? Or is this person just staring and they've got a resting bitch face and so do I and I love that about them and now we've got something in common. Like, you know what I mean? Like, can you perceive something as neutral? When someone pulls you up on something, you think, oh, is this neutral, negative or positive? When you put yourself out there and try and apply for a job and they get back to you and say, no, we're not looking for someone now. You could interpret that as like, oh my God, they've only sent me that. In reality, they hated my CV, it's fucked. Or you could be like, Amazing. I'm going to respond to them and be like, great, could you please keep my CV on file? If at all anything, let me know what I can do to prepare um, if, if I need anything to prepare for when an application does open up because I see this as a neutral stimulus and I can do something about it to make it into something positive. So that's what I mean. Always look at something when you feel threatened, pause and think, is it any way I could interpret this another way and challenge your thoughts? Number three, Focus on the progress and not the task itself. And this is perfect for those mastering of tasks exercise that, you know, of the, the four things that I mentioned before. When you're mastering something, you're, fo- you're not focusing on, I have to master it. You're kind of in the zone of, of getting better and better and better at it every time. You know, if you're trying to learn how to do a handstand and you watch a tutorial, you're not doing like the 10th video on like, you're going to go through the motions and really try and work it out. And this idea of working on the progress makes you forget about the pressures of the final result. And it gets you more in the zone of learning how to master a task and it becomes a whole lot more fun. If your focus is completely on the final result, it's not going to be that exciting. You're probably going to have more anxiety around it. You're probably going to have more stress um, and aversion to to that, that task or that job that you have to do. Number four, I want you to pick something to master. Okay. So And it could be fucking anything, guys, anything. Make it small, make it big, whatever. Probably start off with something small and easy to do that, like that's within your grasp. So I always use this as an example because it's an easy one to think of. But like a Rubik's Cube, right? How to solve a Rubik's Cube. You can watch tutorials and shit. Or you can do, um, like I said, how to do a handstand, how to do the splits, um, running three kilometers. It could be a physical thing. It could be a mental task. How to sing an entire song in another language. Like just fun shit that you can master. How to memorize X amount of like every country in the world. Um, I love to do like fl- like capitals of the world, like different capital cities um, and knowing which flag corresponds to different countries. I love doing that just, for, you know, for fun. 
literally probably for the challenge. I just enjoy doing that. And it's not because I have to master every single one. It's because I like that feeling of the challenge. I like working my retrieval memory, that kind of stuff. So that's what you're going to do. You're going to choose something to try and master and get better and better and better at it. Like I said, it, I recommend small, but of course you can do something massive like try and learn a language or go and get a degree. But I'm talking about little things in your spare time that's going to help improve your overall self-efficacy is ideal. Second last one, number five, I want you to find a core group of supporters around you. Even if it's one motherfucker who is your hype person, even if it's your best friend who you've never really spoken about this to, you're going to sit them down and you're going to say, I need a hype person. I need someone who is in my corner, who is my supporter. I don't want you to be fake, but I want you to support me and encourage me. I want you to remember when I have a job interview and call me and be like, you've got this, this is awesome, go break a leg. That kind of thing, you know, and just say that to your best friend, say, I want to be that for you. And I want you to be that for me. And obviously kind of pick a person who you think already has it in them. If it's someone who's always cutting your ideas down, who's always being negative, I probably would not bother. I wouldn't bother, but find someone to be that person. And if possible, make it your group of friends. If you've got a really tight knit group of friends, sit them down being like, I listened to this podcast by Alexis and she says that I need my hype group. Can you guys be that for me? Like, I know you love me, but can you actually be this verbal positive encouragement that I need? Because it's going to make me more likely to enhance my self-efficacy if people around me believe what I do as well as myself. Okay. It just makes it easier. Of course, it's still doable. Self-belief is the number one most important one. But when you have that network, it's obviously easier. And I was, I was watching, ironically, Mr. Worldwide Pitbull, I was watching an interview of him that came up on TikTok. And he talks about young children, when they try and do something, even the most basic task, everyone's like, oh my God, oh my God, amazing. He's walking. This is great. This is great. They fall over and everyone's like, it's fine. It's fine. Get back up. You can do it. It's fine. Who cares that you fell over? Let's go. Let's go. So very, very quickly, these kids are like picking up these skills. They're all like excited. They don't have any self-doubt. Everything's amazing. It's the opposite for a lot of people when you get to adulthood where you are um, – you try something. Oh, that's not going to work. Oh, no, I wouldn't do that. Oh, that's – I don't know. I don't know if that's really your thing. Is that really your thing? Would you do that? Like, So it's like doubt, 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 shut you down, shut you down. So you're still capable of doing it and ultimately the buck stops with you. But imagine how much how – much more enjoyable that process would be if the people around you were just jeeing you up, being your heart person, being like, fuck yeah. And when you fall, being like, it's okay, take a breather, but let's do this. We're here for you. Come on, let's let's go. You're going to pick yourself back up a lot faster and you're going to be like, yeah, fuck yeah. Like a child would when they've got that support network encouraging them to do something. And if you're standing here saying, I don't, I can't think of anyone that that could do that for me, then fucking red flag, you need a new bunch of friends immediately. And if you don't know where to find them, jump on my Facebook group because there's a bunch of people that are already great at encouraging at each other on that Facebook group. Amazing people who genuinely want to help out. So even if they're only online friends, but there's heads of people in the group that, that have met up with people in the same city and stuff. So if you don't have anyone that will encourage you, find new friends. Okay, last one seek out a mentor or a role model and find things that inspire you instead of making you feel like you can't do it. I don't want you to look at someone and think that's fucking unattainable. They're going to be my role model. You're going to look at someone and be like, wow, I love that they did that. That makes it more realistic for me. And I'm not saying imitate everything they did. I'm saying use that person as inspiration. If you feel a sense of um, comparison 
then you want to try and either find someone else or try and find instead of comparing myself to this person, how can I increase my connection to this person? And if you can't know them like personally on a, on a conversational level where you can actually reach out and talk to them because that might be the case, then still find ways like listen to interviews of them, listen to stuff that they've done, you know, research their work and find ways where you can feel connected to this person instead of feeling a divide and feel that you're comparing yourself to them. That is how you're going to feel like, wow, this is actually possible for me. Wow, I hear this person talk, I've heard them interviewed and I, I get it. Like they sound like someone that I could be friends with. They sound like someone that I could be similar to, obviously with your own flavor, but that excites me because I'm hearing them talk and I could do that too, you know? So it's not, I could do it better, their shit. No, it's I could do it in my own way, but that's cool that they've done it and I could probably do it slightly differently in an equally cool way. Okay. So that's what I want you to focus on those six steps. Um, and that is all. And guys, it's so crucial to work on your self-efficacy because that directly and also indirectly is going to increase your self-love as well. Thank you so much for listening into this episode. Um, I'll do a little beans around the world shout out. Let's, let's go. I've got a bunch here. We have Denpasar in Indonesia. We've got Cancun in Mexico. Bubs. We've got Marbella in Spain and Ballarat in Australia. Love you guys all so much. Thank you guys for tuning in today. I hope you can put all this stuff um, into practice or even one of the things into practice. I hope you can also uh, get better at identifying where you're at because you can't change what you don't acknowledge, guys. No, you cannot. Um, And as always, thank you so much for sharing the podcast. Please continue to share the podcast around the world, in your town, in your city. It means the world to me. And I get so excited when I see all these new locations crop up around the world. It's fucking amazing. Love it so much. Guys, as always, remember, be kind to yourselves, be kind to your brains. Don't take shit from anyone. And especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke.